a couple of happy belated, happy belated Juneteenth, happy belated National Indigenous Peoples Day, happy belated Father's Day, and a happy, oh, I guess this is also belated, I think it already started, uh, first day of summer. We're into the summer of 2021, and we're closely creeping up to Elwood City Limits' five-year anniversary. From here on out, the days will only be getting shorter, Will. That's right. Uh, it, in fact, we're already starting to see. Uh, it's it's weird how the the sun kind of sticks around even after eight o'clock around here. And uh, now we're into tropical storm season. As we're recording this, knock on wood. Yes, we're during hoping... a, a, a quote-unquote cyclone, though so yeah. far it's just been muggy with a lot of rain, but. Uh, some sort of cyclone conditions heading our way. I'm on the verge of a pressure headache, but nothing relieves that <laughs> like recording an episode of Elwood City Limits. It's the Episodic Arthur Podcast. Uh, my name's Will Young. My co-host there, Lucas Mancini. Uh, Lucas, I have some I have some good news that I wanted oh. to start off with. I love I love it when you have good news. What hit me with the with the business, Will? So I want to say about a month or two ago, I had a news update that the animation studio that works on Arthur in Montreal, uh, the animation workers were on strike or they, uh, they, uh, I forget if it was, if it's technically a a protest or a strike. Uh, I'm happy to say that- Some sort of labor action. Yes, labor action. Thank you. Uh, I'm happy to say that the animation workers have reached an agreement with Oasis Animation per this uh, article- I have read from Alex Dudok DeWitt. Um, so that essentially means that last week, the agreement between the animation workers and Oasis Animation was approved and went into effect. So animators now have a clear salary structure. They have regular evaluations so that their wages reflect their skill levels and their job titles. They've improved salaries and annual raises. I was also surprised Ooh. to see, because I don't, I'm not terribly knowledgeable about... The animation industry, I know we have a lot of listeners who are and a couple who are even working in the animation industry. This is, in fact, a breakthrough action for the Canadian animation industry, which is largely non-unionized. This is one of the only uh, animation worker unions. This is uh, Oasis is active in uh, Montreal. So a huge congratulations to them. A round of applause. And I'm so glad that the animators on Arthur are and other fine programs are going to be getting their due. Oh, let me just, I'm lifting up the W. Oh, okay. <laughs> here's here's the W to all the fine Canadian animators down at Oasis. Yes, and thank you very much to everybody who, uh, who went into action for that. And I'm glad that you stood up. And now it seems we have a big win here. Let's try and extend that out to the rest of our country and beyond because we love our animation workers without whom... We wouldn't be talking on this podcast. Uh, we have a little bit of, <laughs> I guess, uh, more more fun news here. And it's not so much news as it is over on our Twitter account, at ECL Podcast, earlier this week, in, in recognition of Father's Day, I guess you could say late last week, I decided to do a bit of a poll. And I uh, conducted this via our followers. We had about, uh, I want to say about 40, a little bit more than 40 people vote in this poll. And I asked for the best dad on Arthur. And I gave you four choices. The choices were, obviously, Dad Reed, Oliver Frensky, Ed Crosswire, and Buster's dad, who was kind of the joke entry. And uh, running away with the vote, and uh, pleased to pleased to announce this, Oliver Frensky is the best dad on Arthur, as voted on by our followers. Yeah, I can't say I'm too surprised. 
Um, and you know, there's there's a character limit on Twitter. We couldn't have uh, such illuminaries as Brains Dad or <laughs> Binky's Dad. Uh, but uh, I think that the right dad won in this instance. Um, so congrats to Oliver Fredski for being the, I guess, Arthur Dad of the Year. Arthur Dad of the Year and potentially of the show. I mean, I got. I mean, I have to show love to Dad Reed. I think he's he's pretty solid too. But Oliver, I think for the relatively little screen time that he's had. He really has ran away with our hearts. I'm also pleased to say that Ed Crosswire coming in at a distant last. Buster's dad even outdoing Ed Crosswire. <laughs> Listen, it's fun to be Buster's jet setting. He's flying coast to coast, and that's because of his dad. That is true. He's at least a little little bit fun and not so, uh, I don't know, Trumpy. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so <laughs> thank you, everybody who, uh, who voted in that. Of course, don't miss out. Uh, be a part of our socials, Elbit City Limits socials. Um, and before we get started, of course, uh, no emails this week. It is a rare email this week. Don't forget ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. It's one of the things we like to do at the top of the episode. But since we have no emails, we'll just go straight into our patron thank yous. We have a couple of new patrons that I want to say a special thank you for hopping on board and joining us. That is uh, SparkyMAH32, or if I may, SparkyMA32. I don't know. And AwesomeEddie21. Welcome, my friends. We are glad to have you here as new patrons. Hope you enjoy all the new content. Also want to shout out people like JHC, YearsN94, Mary Archambault, Allison Archambault, Lawrence, we have Owen, Michelle Sprzynski, we have Greg Hagai and Melissa Avales, Pretty Cool Stairs, Kristen, Kat, Aaron DeFilippo, and if I go to page two, Caitlin Harrington-Robinson, I'll say Stella, Riley Stevens, Macy Ball, and Light Relentless. Thank you, everybody. Really appreciate your patronage. That's patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. Our most recent uh, episode of For the Kids, it was an interesting dive into the Corduroy cartoon. I think, yes. I, I, I know that, I feel that for the series that we're doing on For the Ki- on uh, on For the Kids, the series we're doing on the PBS Kids Bookworm Bunch, even if you're, if you don't have a prior relationship with the show that we're talking about, I encourage you to still listen, because we still have fun talking about these shows, and who knows, you might find something that you like, but we do have quite a bit of laughs at the expense of corduroy but i am most excited to talk about this arthur episode that we have before us starting with the chronicles of buster so this every morning i I wake up and open palm slam a vhs into the slot it's the chronicles of buster and right then and there i start doing the moves alongside with the main character buster I do every move, and I do every move hard, making whooshing sounds when I slam down some necrode bastards when I mess up, or when, even when I mess up technique. Not many can say they escaped the galaxy's most dangerous prison. I can. I say it, and I say it out loud every day to people in my college class, and all they do is prove people in college class can still be immature jerks. And I've learned all the lines and learned how to make myself and my apartment less lonely by shouting them all. Two hours, including wind down, every morning. Then you lift. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, Lucas something awful Mancini over here. Um, well, you know what? I was I was about as expectant of you going on that on that rant as I was of the episode itself. So we're setting a good tone. I was absolutely blindsided 
by what we by what we discovered what we what we started with here in this episode called the chronicles of buster so the cold open has to do with a series of films in the arthur universe called the chronicles of amazia mm-hmm. so this is i mean incredibly obviously this this was this came out in like 2008 i want to say this is incredibly obviously a parody of mostly the lord of the rings and not right. just the movie the lord of the rings because what we're seeing is a television commercial for the super extended collector edition of the 10 part series so That's it is right. a it is a parody of the extended edition of the lord of the rings dvds which were incredibly popular in the mid 2000s after that trilogy had gone gone into the, in and out of theaters and then they came to DVD and then later Blu-ray as extended collector's editions with new scenes, lots of behind-the-scenes featurettes. And I know this because my wife and I just finished watching them for our annual Lord of the Rings I've, rewatch. I've been following your their letterbox reviews, so it's very serendipitous that this is what we're talking about this week. Um, and, and you're right. This parody is like it's so obviously the Lord of the Rings special editions. They even name drop IMAX by name. That was strange, um, yeah. Which I was surprised by. A Canadian invention, IMAX. Oh, um, yeah. A uh, little but, Canadian shout-out. Uh, but, yeah, not even, like, a, a parody, like, iMac or something. It's just literally IMAX. Yeah, it's they even they the line specifically is you saw them in theaters on DVD in 3D IMAX, but never in the super extended collector's edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, just completely didn't plan this at all. My wife and I just finished, as I said, our annual Lord of the Rings rewatch. And this time, like we've kept, we've been saying it for years, this time we are actually watching all of the extended special features, which are terrific. Like you're, everybody's so you, been saying it for years. Those documentaries, behind the scenes documentaries, will make you love filmmaking even more than you already do. I can't recommend them enough if you like the Lord of the Rings movies and haven't seen them. I, I just, it's so funny to me that like, you are you're living Buster's truth right now. You you are the one evangelizing watching at least in this Arthur episode all one thousand and one hours of DVD special features. It is it's a lot. Like uh, like I I will say I I did I must admit I got a little bit defensive because they really go in on this. Uh, I'll, through this whole commercial that is the cold open um, there's a line where they say commentary by the directors actors technical crew and some folks we dragged in off the street <laughs> um, in fact the as they later say the collector's edition comes with a bonus dolly to carry it on and a massager for your like neck arms back and your butt to keep your butt circulating to enjoy all apparently 1001 hours of of the movies. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, combine, of course, we're talking about the extended versions of Lord of the Rings are quite a bit longer, you know, three and ranging from three and a half to, I believe, four and a half plus hours. And then the extras on top of those are, I would say, if I were to, uh, if I were to average it out, I would say they're at least three to five hours each. Mm-hmm. Per, so not quite 1,001, but... So. No, but it, it, it is a lot. Uh, I will also say that they quickly go over the plot of the Chronicles of Amazia, the story of Will Nobody. So I finally got somebody with my name in this show. Uh, the eight-year-old who trips into his toy trunk and discovers that he is the Prince of Light, 
uh, meant to save Amazia from the evil Lord Pordrog. And I will say, the evil Lord Pordrog is an eyeball on top of a mountain, which, if you didn't know this was Lord of the Rings before, you do now. Well, so the Chronicles of Amazia, one of the big differences between that and Lord of the Rings, we get to see how it's the same and how it's different. So the evil yes. Lord Drogog, I can't even pronounce the name. That's okay. Um, yeah, that's it's fine. a very, very, like, one-to-one parody of Sauron, the Eye of Sauron. Yeah. But uh, um, uh, in Arthur, it's an isekai, unlike the real Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yes. It is like a regular eight-year-old boy falling into this magical world, something I'm very familiar with as an anime fan. So. Not, the, not the first time that isekai has come up on this show either. Exactly. Arthur's getting more and more isekai. I thought I could escape it, Will. You know, as a, as an avid anime watcher and someone who tries to keep up from season to season with modern anime, for the past three years, it's essentially just been isekai after isekai, and it's really a genre I'm getting sick of. And usually my my precious Western cartoons is a, is a fun escape, but <laughs> alas, they've, they've even invaded Arthur now. No, for Mighty from Mighty Max and beyond, there are always elements of isekai in Western animation. Um, but you're right; this is just like a, a young kid going into a magical world and becoming. It's a very like a lot of different children's book series that I read when I was a kid had to do with that sort of thing. Um, so the this is all like this completely blindsided me, and I'm like, <laughs> where is this going? <laughs> And I was like, because it's so unlike Arthur, because, you know, not only to make fun of something that exists in real life this hard, (laughs) but the jokes like they continue up with the jokes throughout the episode. And it gave me the impression that somebody or some people on the Arthur staff have like a bone to pick with the extended like somebody forced them to watch the extended Lord of the Rings trilogy. And they're like, well, I'm going to write an episode about it. I don't know. It's just like they, they're very like it's a very accurate parody. Like I do think it's funny, but there is also an element of like, geez, we're really harping on these jokes. See, it just seems, I, I, it's, it's a little it's a little bit meaner's a meaner's a bit uh, meaner is a bit intense. Like they're not being mean about it, but it is a bit more pointed than Arthur humor gets about the real world. Sometimes I, I see what you're saying. I, I I think it's 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 a little bit more evocative of some kind of adult animation humor. Something yes. Like, that. like I won't I won't you know insult Arthur by comparing it to something like a Family Guy. Let's let's be uh, uh, kind and say it's it's a Simpsons esque level yes. of satirization of the Lord of the Rings special editions. Um, but I also think like you know. I, I, I think it, it's it reads less like someone was forced to it. It reads more like kind of a loving parody. Like the details are so kind okay. of like I I feel like you wouldn't know this much about it if you hadn't already like you said watched the special editions and had somewhat of an affinity for them. Because uh, I, I to me it reads like some kind of a loving parody. Now where are kind of reads of it start to diverge is this initial scene in the gym locker room where we see Arthur in a position that I don't think we've seen him yet in, in the show, which is that he is berating Buster essentially for being a nerd and he is a jock. Because he says, come on, Buster, you got to hurry. We got to get to gym class. Whereas Buster just wants to talk about his special edition DVDs. Well, that's, yeah, that's the idea behind this episode is that Buster is absolutely, completely obsessed with this movie series and specifically with the DVDs. Like he has them all and cannot stop talking to Arthur about it, even though Arthur, I think, like has seen the movies 
but kind of doesn't care to watch yeah. all a thousand, one thousand and one hours of the spe- of the special edition. <laughs> uh, uh, Arthur's a jock now. He's a giga chad. He's got the sigma male <laughs> mindset. He he doesn't concern himself with you know such frivolous things as fantasy series special editions. He wants to go climb rocks and stuff. Doesn't care about the thoughts of the sheep. He's just uh, yeah. uh, running with the wolves. Exactly. So he's, this he's is the, he. In fact, not only is he running with the wolves, will he's the alpha. Yes. Of the pack. Uh, so Arthur and Buster are surprised to see that in gym class that day, they're doing rock climbing, uh, which Buster is initially very nervous about. Um, personally, I am not, I've never seen, and uh, granted, I've only done rock climbing like a handful of times and certainly not to any degree of professionalism. I've never seen a rock climbing apparatus operated by a human, like by, like it's Mr. Ratburn giving up the slack and the tension on the rope and kind of supporting them against the rock wall. Like, I've either seen, you know, people strapped into, like, elaborate cable harnesses that are not human-controlled, or it's just people just going basically free climbing. Oh. No, I've, I've done climbing like this. This is this is exactly how, um, when I've been rock climbing, it goes. Like, uh, if, if I've been, like, yeah, someone's been at the ground kind of feeding me cable. Okay. Uh, and I've been climbing up the wall. Now, I, again, I haven't been rock climbing that much either. Um, and I most certainly haven't been, like, you know, we have a... Halifax does this thing where when a small business catches on, there can never just be one. There's always has to be, like, three of them. Yes. Um, you know, a few years ago, it was frozen yogurt. There was, like, six frozen yogurt places here. Yeah. Uh, already three years after, like, Montreal are already gotten rid of its frozen yogurt places. Um, and then after that, it was um, uh, donuts. We had all these, like, boutique donut shops open yeah. up. Um, and now, like, the new thing is, like, craft brew rock climbing spots. There's, like, two. Uh, in yeah, the and city. One, one in an old theater, which I loved. Uh, uh, so that's like that's like the new thing, um, and I haven't been to either of those, but I assume it's like more so of the kind of the the what is it the free bouldering? I don't know the term, um, but I, I've done this type of rock climbing where it's like yeah, someone's feeding you slack, and, and that's what's supporting you. So if you fall down, uh, you don't fall to your death. My question was. Where did this school find it in the budget to build this rock climbing, this temporary rock climbing gym? They must have gotten some sort of, you know, uh, uh, I guess I was going to say provincial, but this is in America, some sort of statewide education grant uh, to support phys ed programs. Like, I'm, I'm trying to think the amount of school books that, well, not it, to disparage, you know, this rock climbing gym, what a great opportunity for these kids, but it just, it looks expensive. Like, who built this? Well, in my experience, the times that I did rock climbing associated with school, they would, like, specifically rent out equipment. So it could be that they mm. don't own it. Mm. Could have just rented it out. Um, so, yeah, Buster is very nervous about rock climbing, but he actually manages to do it the best out of anybody. He's the only one to reach the top. And the idea is is that the kids are going to be training doing rock climbing for the next few weeks, and then they're going to be doing the real thing when Mr. Ratburn takes them to Mount Krakauer. Which uh, um, I would we would find out about later, but that's that's kind of the idea is that Arthur really wants to train, wants to continue training because he and he wants to train with Buster as his partner because Buster did the best of anybody, but Buster is too distracted by the DVD special features to really notice or care about what Arthur <laughs> wants. 
<laughs> we th- some of like th- this we get a lot of like asides to Buster watching the movie and engaging with the special features, which is such a <laughs> It's such an interesting, like, because we've seen characters watch movies all the time. It's so rare in a cartoon that you see somebody recreating, like, director commentary, which yeah, is it's what... it's so funny. Like, th- 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 this is where I... Th- this is, again, why I think it's, like, uh, a loving homage and not some sort of, like, vengeful uh, mockery is because, like, th- the little jokes they put in throughout of this, of the director's commentary, a lot of it is this main actor, the kid that plays the the Will character. Yes. Um, kind of his commentary either getting interrupted or there's all these like little asides or he's like talking about on this day of the shoot um and all of these these kind of fake commentary bits are very funny yeah like later on like so like buster cannot even carry on a conversation with arthur in the room if the dvd's on and later on arthur like arthur says like meet me at the rock climbing place in an hour or whatever and buster i see this part buster's using his massager on the back of his neck because he's been sitting watching for too long um and then later arthur calls him because he was too absorbed buster was too absorbed in the movie and he's completely taken by this story of like the types of sandwiches that craft services would have <laughs> and that will's actor is talking about <laughs> Like the most minute details in order to cover commentary across this one thousand one hour movie series. It is funny. It's just it's just so strange at the same time. I was like, I kind of can't believe this. And the the cut we get between Buster uh, watching the commentary and getting the call from Arthur. It says. 400 DVD hours later or one month in human years. Yeah, that was so weird. I I wrote that down as well. That's hilarious. And and then at the end of it, it's Arthur saying that Buster has missed out on them training this whole time. And Arthur's getting really tired of it. Mm. Um, he's and he literally tells Buster at school the next day, like, I don't want to hear any more about Amazia because <laughs> Buster keeps trying to bring it up and uh, you know they aren't able to train and Buster and Buster gets actually annoyed at this. He's like he wants to talk about Amazia so bad, but Arthur just doesn't. And this leads into a dream sequence that Buster has where he falls asleep, falls into the um like the crate that they gave to house the DVDs, and he dreams he's in Amazia, and he meets up with the Elven character of the mu- of the movie whose name is Endingorn. Um, again, pretty good parody of the, the naming conventions of the Tolkien movie. Uh, by the way, when Buster falls asleep, the disc he was on is labeled the 40th battle. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, Arthur's like mad at Buster for not, you know, rising and grinding. You know, Arthur's just trying to get his train on. Hmm. Um, he's, he's really trying to, you know, he's, he's taking his creatine powder. He's, he's, he's got that, like I said, that, that alpha male mindset it's really like the 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 for lack of a better comparison the virgin buster special features dvd watcher versus the chad uh rock climbing training arthur (laughs) exactly so in this dream uh it's you know he buster goes to amazia but he learns that it's a little bit different because all of the TVs and the ways to watch the Amazia DVDs have been destroyed by not Pordrog, but Arthro. <laughs> Love this visual. It's oh, yeah. Arthur's glasses and his beady eyes at the top of a volcano instead of the singular eyeball. 
So this that is, that just looked really strange and like I got a big kick out of it. Yes, this is this is like the imagination sequence that we've been missing. It's it's been seasons and seasons and seasons. This is evocative of like the absurdity of the first three seasons of you know the classics, long arm of the law coming to grab Arthur for not returning his library book. You know Arthur getting digested by a giant clam. All these these moments in Arthur that are are so bizarre they really really stick in your head um even we've watched seasons of this show and those are the ones that really stand out to me i think this is going to be one of those moments this mountain i'm looking at the screen cap right now it just looks ridiculous this mountain with like this giant pair of arthur's glasses first of all what looks so weird about it is it's not just the glasses it's like the glasses but also arthur's eyes and pupils are still in it his little his little dots and the whites, yeah. Yeah, and, and there's like also it's got eyebrows, <laughs> and, 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 but the glasses are also not on the mountain. Like they're not actually like attached. No, they're, to yeah, they're like perched on top. <laughs> it looks crazy. Uh, this was one of those every once in a while. Like I don't talk to many people IRL besides you, Will, about Arthur. But this was one of those like Arthur screen caps where I had to send some people and be like, "Yep, yeah, Arthur's getting weird again." <laughs> That's awesome. Arthur has destroyed all the TVs in Amazia because so no one can talk about the DVDs again and that's kind of the <laughs> villain that Buster dreams Arthur of being so he gets the Buster gets the crystal staff and he is to destroy Arthur by the way the crystal staff is a DVD placed on top of like Gandalf's walking stick from the from the Lord of the Rings I thought that was a great touch it looked really really funny uh, so he gets all the way to the top of Arthro, I guess, and then he finds the real Arthur, who lays it out that like, essentially Arthur Arthur says that um, that the DVD has been getting in the way of our friendship, and he lays that out, and he's apparently joined forces with Mr. Ratburn, or in this case, Mr. Ratburndro, and this is I'm guessing if so if we're if we're taking Lord of the Rings analogies, then I guess he's the Saruman. Of uh, of this equation, but his design, I couldn't get past it. There's something familiar about the design. It looks like he's got like this yellow kind of weird twig hat almost. I don't know how to describe it, but it looked like it was from a different fantasy series, and I could not place it. If anybody knows what it could be based on, please let me know. I also really liked uh, Arthur Holden's take on Mr. Ratburndro's voice. It's like Mr. Ratburn, but he's like, he's got a little bit of a growl in his voice. And I'm like, it's just a little different from the typical, like, because normally when Arthur Holden does Mr. Ratburn a bit differently, he'll just like, he'll sound like Bionic Bunny. But in this case, it was a little bit lower, maybe trying to do a bit of Christopher Lee. He also has a tiny little mustache. He does. It's a very interesting design for like a character design that does not stick around very long. This uh, Mr. Ratburndro. Um, again, it's kind of the Lord of the Rings naming convention. So Buster kind of wakes up and this is what enables him to see like, I guess, the error of his ways question mark. And then he offers to go to rock climbing practice with Arthur. Buster says straight up that he realized that he has been selfish. So, and then what? I, uh, one more surprise before the story ends is that Arthur and Buster like are legit climbing a mountain. Like we get them to Mount Krakauer, and Buster is kind of helping Arthur to get to the top. But they're literally like they're literally climbing up a mountain. I'm like. This is dangerous. They're like eight years old. Now, Will, did you know, if you have the stuff, you can just climb a mountain. No one's going to stop you. 
I know, but they're they're just young. Like we never quite see how big this mountain is. So like it could be like the easiest thing in the world, but it was also True. like, oh my god! Like I was a little scandalized. I was like, they're just children. You can't do this to them. <laughs> I don't know. Just it's it, it just one last surprise that I was still trying to still kind of reeling from the way this twist and True. turns of this this episode took. <laughs> That was a weird one. Uh, Let's take a quick break here, and we'll be right back for the second half of this episode. Hey, everybody, it's Lucas from the Elwood City Limits podcast. And if you love ECL, there's a couple of ways to keep up with us. You could go to facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits at ECL podcast. That's our Twitter. We take questions on Tumblr. It's elwoodcitylimits.tumblr.com. There is an Instagram as well, Elwood City Limits on Instagram. Of course, if you want to donate to the show and get exclusive content, whether that's our full-length commentary of the Arthur movies, our brand new uh, bi-weekly PBS Kids Review Show, as well as our video game movie reviews with the Sonic movie review and Pikachu movie review, you can check out patreon.com slash elwoodcitylimits. Uh, and that's also going to get you access to the Elwood City Limits Discord, which me and Will like to post in from time to time. And if you want that sweet, sweet Elwood City Limits merch, check out teespring.com slash stores slash Elwood hyphen city hyphen limits hyphen store. You can listen to the podcast at libsyn.com slash Elwood City Limits, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and there's other podcast apps like Stitcher. And if we're not on your favorite app, let us know. And where can you let us know? Well, that's going to be at ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. That's also where you can send us a question and we'll read it on the show. Finally, if you want to support the podcast, the best way to do so is to tell a friend who likes animation or Arthur or just podcasts in general and to go to our iTunes page and rate us out of five stars. Apparently, that helps podcasts out. Bye, everybody. Will, you were talking about uh, last one was weird, uh, and, and it's been kind of a, a, a twisty and turny, a surprising week for Elwood City Limits, uh, and I'm sure that the, the beginning of this episode is just perfectly normal, nothing strange to be seen here. Oh, wait, no, it's dinosaurs. Yeah, it's, uh, and then it only gets... In a way, stranger from there. Yeah, it's dinosaurs. We, we're we in the middle of a dinosaur chase here until uh, Arthur interrupts and asks you. It's it's another one of those, like, what, what if, what would you do if? And the question is, what could have happened right where you are sitting? So Arthur suggests that right where you're sitting, there could have been a dinosaur chase or the invention of the wheel. Or it could, in fact, be the future where Francine and Buster are riding hover scooters. It's what's weird about this is it it does something that these intro sequences haven't done before where usually it's just like magical realism Ferris Bueller Arthur addresses the camera and the world stops but Arthur has like a physical Adam Sandler click remote yeah. that he's using to travel through time and a literally like a pause the word pause shows up on the screen uh it was a little strange yeah it's uh it was certainly I like again I was like okay where like there's no obvious there's no obvious hint into where the episode goes and i think this ties into the episode quite well but i was also just like especially after the first one i was like i don't know what to expect from an arthur episode anymore i I wrote that down too though on uh, just seeing this intro not knowing what this episode was about i was like i'm so confused (laughs) 
So what this leads to is, this was surprising in a different way. We talk about a real historical figure in Arthur, which we've done Mm -hmm. before. But this episode is all based around the real person that was Sitting Bull. Mr. Mm -hmm. Ratburn is talking about Sitting Bull, who uh, apparently stopped in Elwood City in his time, to which Arthur takes an interest. So, I mean... I had to look this up because Sitting Bull, I don't believe, is really taught in our kind of history classes here in Atlantic Canada. We're more likely to learn about the indigenous people that lived here than that still live here, uh, the Mi'kmaq, which is yeah. uh, which is the primary tribe that exists here in Atlantic Canada. So in terms of American Indian history, there's a lot that we don't know about. Th- though we learned something, and I was really surprised by this, and it makes me wonder, you know, how often are, are people taught in the prairie education yes. uh, about stuff like this, so more central Canada, that Sitting Bull kind of uh, fled the United States to Saskatchewan, uh, the Canadian province of Saskatchewan. Right. Um, and so it made me wonder, that really per- perked my ears up. Uh, and it made me wonder, is that, uh, you know, is he a more famous figure in that area? Uh, I, I sure would hope so, because um, I too uh, sprinted to the Wikipedia machine uh, yeah. after this kind of initial introduction to kind of learn what I could before the show. And it, the, it's quite a fascinating story. To keep it at its most basic, again, like I don't want to misrepresent history for a subject that I pretty much just learned about yes. today. Uh, yes. Sitting Bull, a.k.a. Tatanka Ayotake, a leader of the Hunkpapa Lakota tribe, and apologies for the pronunciation, uh, an influential leader. Let's let's just say there's there's like a, there's so much to cover from what little I read of him. And I'm just like, I don't know how to sum this up in just like a paragraph, essentially, but an influential leader of his tribe and an important part of of American history in his own right. And as they get into later, he was also a part of Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. Um, there was also certainly a lot more um, grisly parts um, and some kind of, in terms of the treatment of the indigenous peoples of America, very shameful parts of his history. Yes. So, what a surprise. Yeah, of course. Like I, like I said, we, um, we here in Canada just celebrated National uh, Indigenous Peoples Day. Mm-hmm. And we are having our own discussions recently based on recent events about the treatment of indigenous peoples in our country and across the world. I actually was um, I was just fortunate enough, literally just before we started recording, I was um, so my other one of my other jobs is that I am uh, I'm a live captioner. I'm a, I do closed captioning for certain events and I was doing one for a webinar on tribal state relations in the state of Minnesota. And it's, it's, again, it kind of gave me an opportunity. This and this episode in its own ways gave me an opportunity to learn about the uh, indigenous peoples of America. And it also shined a light on what I don't know, which is yeah. a lot as a white person. Like, oh. I, I don't believe and I would not claim any sort of indigenous heritage throughout my bloodline, at least as far as I know. So there's there's a lot I don't know and a lot that I have to learn. And this was a, this this Arthur episode was another reminder of that. Yeah, really, like I said before, if you haven't checked it out, uh, and I, I'm, I'm inspired to do further reading, but the, the Sitting Bull Wikipedia page has many twists and turns. Yes. Um, and it's really just a fascinating life from, you know, the Battle of Little Bighorn, 
um, and, and which is you know an incredibly important event in American history, um, at, at least from my ignorant uh, Canadian perspective. Yeah. Um, and then things like I had never heard of the ghost dance movement, and no, anyway, that, lots, that lots to too. learn. Yeah, really kind of fascinating stuff. And again, yeah. All, this is all to say Arthur is what's teaching us this. Well, so, and, and I want to kind of put this up front, and we will talk about this later. This is, in many ways that a lot, that an Arthur episode usually isn't, this is a this is one that is really focused on education. Mm-hmm. Like, it is very much taking the stance of, like, the, like, the main driver of this episode is Arthur taking an interest in a person's history and trying mm-hmm. to impress upon that to everybody. And I feel it doesn't do that all the time in the way that a lot of other public television shows do or shows aimed at children that have an educational bent to them. But I was, I am, I was and am pleased to see that it is an indigenous person that they are highlighting. Like it's again, I don't, I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself, so I apologize, but I'm glad that this wasn't like, Oh boy, like George Washington stood on this, you know, part of stood at this tree in Elwood City at one point. And it's like Arthur getting a plaque for George Washington or something. It's like no, it's Sitting Bull, who is well, a part it, of American it, history in his own right. It's really fascinating too because this is the first time El- we've talked about, um, and this has been kind of a uh, a look into the way American education teaches about history compared to Canadian education. And a lot of Elwood City has actually we El- in Arthur we've sorry I, let me gather my thoughts in Arthur we've tackled the history of Elwood City before, but it's usually like this kind of fictionalized pilgrim story. Yes. Like, we, we've seen in many episodes kind of the founding of Elwood City, um, and in those moments, you're right, Will, it's been those types of characters um, that have been kind of highlighted. So it's interesting that this is kind of really the first time we're seeing a real historical figure being tackled, and like you said, it's not your George Washington types, your, your Chris Columbus types. Or... Or in some cases, it's like the pilgrims. Yeah, you know, well, like, it's like, like yeah, in the Je- Jebed- episode? Je- yeah. Jebediah Springfield and, and yeah. all that stuff. Like the, the characters of that ilk. Um, and it makes me think about like the way uh, Americans get taught about the original settlers in whatever t- town they may be in, right? And it, it's, it's just, it's interesting to. Um, be introspective about that history and stuff like that. We think to to there's been lots of controversies about the people who have uh, who established the city we live in Halifax and you yes. know statues we have of Edward Cornwallis, the guy that uh, uh, set up Halifax, so to speak, um, or at least settled here. Um, and kind of in in the modern context, kind of all the ills uh, that ha- happened as a result. Um, and so people have been kind of reinterrogating uh, that history. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's interesting to see that up to this point, we've seen this mostly fictionalized history of Elwood City. And now we're kind of getting a little bit of historical fiction and that the real character or re- the real figure of Sitting Bull is being uh, ingrained into Elwood City's history. Yeah. And uh, here's a here's a fun fact for you about uh, our place in Atlantic Canada. The Mi'kmaq name for Halifax is Chibuktuk, which a lot mm-hmm. of people, which a lot more people 
uh, indigenous and otherwise are working to acknowledge mm-hmm. um, as as are you know a lot of we're doing a lot more um, acknowledgement of land at the beginning of presentations and events and whatnot mm-hmm. so that's a very Canadian thing yeah yes um, so yeah this real I mean this is what my mind is kind of thinking about it's also appropriate that I was doing that kind of captioning work that I was talking about today it's really activating that part of my brain to get back to the episode um, so Arthur's really interested in sitting bull and he's trying to talk to Buster and Francis seen about it after after class but they just keep talking about like what's going to be happening tomorrow for lunch and this very pointed exchange which i feel is very true to life arthur's like are you guys even listening and francine just says school's over and then just starts talking about something else just like shut it like shut down completely shut down arthur arthur does what we did when we first heard about this which is he logs on to the world wide web to learn more info except yeah woo- instead woohoo of, makes another yes, appearance he's using woohoo which i'm glad that yeah we have some consistency in terms of what are the search engines in the arthur universe we haven't introduced like a ask jeeves equivalent or or a different google they're still on woohoo so Arthur imagines himself as as the cold open kind of thought like he imagines himself seeing a sitting bull show as part of the uh, or one of the shows that he would have done with um, um, Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. Uh, in in the, So he imagines <laughs> him and Francine and Buster in like different sorts of like late 1800s garb in the audience and what I liked is Francine is drinking a tonic that Buster the snake oil salesman sold her. Yes, a Buster has an incredible line where I think Francine says something about like, ugh, this is like something like a cat would drink or something. And Buster, in his old-timey snake oil accent, goes, well, in fact, I do give it to my cat, and he's 32 years old and fit as a fiddle. <laughs> I don't know why, but uh, Buster reminded me a lot of Charlie Kelly when he was the snake oil salesman. I could just imagine Charlie from It's Always Sunny saying that. Mm. Uh, we also get, I did like Sitting Bull in this kind of flashback slash imagination that Arthur has, does like an It's a Living joke. <laughs> it's just like, you know, just like, better give the audience what they want. Well, it's true, and, and this is something that, and you know, I don't even, I'm, I'm almost wary to comment on it because I'm really sort of ignorant about the history. Yeah. But I wonder, you know, how Sitting Bull's participation in Buffalo Bill's Wild West so like sits in a modern context and and you know was this something he was coerced into doing like what were the circumstances around this and I'd really like to learn more about you know it's it just it seems like a very complicated situation Uh, far too complicated for this show especially in the early 2000s to be tackling but this it's a living joke was funny uh yeah again it's another it's another prompt towards learning uh so arthur he realizes the historical importance of sitting bull's appearance in elwood city and he manages to find a local tree that he would have visited and he wants to make the tree into a landmark which is kind of met by basically indifference from his friends who get on the topic of someone they feel is more important uh, a teenage actor named Derek Montaigne, who is apparently the star of movies such as Summer School Musical and Buccaneers of the Bahamas Part 4. We're adding so many films. You know, it was just last episode of Elwood City Limits. We were talking about how the only film or the least the most popular film in the Elwood, in the Arthur universe is uh, 5,000 Explosions at a Supernova. Um, and now, what a what an incredible canon of of 
like just we have the Lord of the Rings parody. We have summer school musical. Um, you could start your own like Arthur Criterion collection of all these movies now. Yes, uh, and speaking of Criterion Collection, that was uh, said on Twitter by our follower Hannah. When's the Criterion release for Five Thousand Explosions and mm. a Supernova? Derek Montaigne is the, the he's going to keep coming up within the show. Uh, we also Arthur gets visited by a, an apparition of Sitting Bull, or perhaps just his imagination, who is asking Arthur to make a memorial for him where this tree is. So after kind of talking to Mr. Ratburn about it, Mr. Ratburn directs Arthur to a local historian whose name is Seymour Turkle, who wrote a uh, very large history book about the many historical importances of Elwood City. And this is where we get the directive for the episode where Seymour tells Arthur that in order to get a a memorial or like something commemorating Sitting Bull, he would need to get 1,000 signatures to get a landmark. Once again, signatures playing a uh, a big role in in this sort of thing. Uh, In in Arthur, I should say. Seymour is great. Uh, I think this is, again, it speaks to a lived experience of, I don't know if you've ever had to meet with a local historian, Will, but this kind of representation of a guy with a sweater with elbow patches and a room full of books and, like, cats climbing on everything uh, is very true to life in my experience. Uh, I had a... uh, and it's kind of similar to Seymour later on in this episode kind of shows Arthur around. Um, one summer, I had got a municipal government job as an intern at the Shubenacadie Canal Commission. Um, so I worked in kind of this little, to call it a museum would be a little bit generous, but there's like a building near the Shubenacadie Canal that kind of uh, chronicles the history of the Shubenacadie Canal, which is like a, I, I would venture to call it famous, but a notable canal uh, that's very old in the mm. area we live. Um, as a part of that, uh, as, listen, if Curious Elliot City listeners want to look this up, it's still on YouTube. As a part of that summer, I like edited a little like Ken Burns style uh, documentary of this uh, o- uh, this elderly man that I was working with, uh, who was like a historian of the Shubenacadie Canal. And I don't think he was even getting paid. I think this was just like in retirement, he volunteered at the Canal Commission and, and was just chronicling this history of this canalway. Um, and so that was part of my experience that summer was uh, turning his presentation into a Ken Burns-style uh, video. Um, and he reminded me, or this character in Arthur reminded me so much of him and just kind of his thirst for knowledge of the local area and how he was just for uh, no other reason but to do so scouring archives and, and, and reading about the canal in the area and that's very much like this character here so yeah we um, we get a little bit further with this Arthur is trying to get the signatures um, DW tries to get the signatures by just straight up lying which I thought was funny it's just a little thing where she tries to get Binky's signatures by saying it's about like saving kittens or something but uh, Arthur doesn't want to get them through deceit. Uh, there's a competing kind of attraction, which is competing for attention with Arthur's signatures, is that Buster is doing a Derek Montaigne tour of Elwood City. And he, uh, in kind of mentioning it, just like, eventually they're going to end up at a bench that apparently Derek Montaigne sat at. And apparently one time he may have even received a call from Matt Damon. So another Matt Damon reference that we can make now, now that this Arthur show is friends with Matt Damon. Um, so getting a thousand signatures is really, it's wearing Arthur down and he doesn't seem to be having much success. In fact, he puts out a table outside of the Mill Creek Mall 
and he uh, he falls asleep and he dreams that the petition is his life's work, like he's 100 years old or he's been like doing it for 100 years and he's almost gotten a thousand signatures and his beard has grown and he's old. And then the wind blows it away as Francine scoots away on her hover scooter. So that's what he's afraid of. I did like this uh, when Ratburn and uh, Turkle come upon Arthur. They uh, Mr. Ratburn wakes him up by going pop quiz, which uh, always wakes them up. Yeah, so, Arthur has a quick like gasp. He's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny. Uh, so to kind of give Arthur some inspiration, Turkle takes Arthur on a historical tour of Elwood City, which is just kind of a nice little short montage of them going to various places and uh, mapping out the history of the town. Um, and it turns out that Buster, as he's doing his tour, uh, he talks to the mailman who allegedly saw Derek Montaigne, the teen actor, and then he points him out. But apparently, all this time, the person they thought was Derek Montaigne was actually Gus, the pizza delivery boy. Someone, someone not not only named as Gus, but also Gus specifically, the pizza delivery boy. Mm. Uh, because I hope that uh, uh, the historian shows up in further episodes, we are going to be giving Gus, the pizza delivery boy, the throwaway character of the week. Because I don't foresee him ever showing up again. I kind of thought you might. I kind of thought you might. Buster has to throw in the towel on his uh, on his walking tour. But then Arthur, because he's handing out maps and everything. He made his own maps and kind of traced over an existing one. Arthur decides to put a little different spin on it. He decides to amend the map a little bit. And he and Buster make a new map for the It Happened in Elwood City walking tour which includes the tree that represents where Sitting Bull was when he came to Elwood City. And they kind of lean on Arthur as the local history expert for that part. I did appreciate that Arthur um, started his speech by saying, I am not an expert, mm. which, it's, uh, you it's, know. It's, it's evocative of, like, I don't know if you've ever listened to, like, Hardcore History with, with Dan Carlin. I never have, no. It's, it's these, like, detailed eight-hour podcasts that really, really take a deep dive on a historical event with all these sources. And even Dan Carlin, who I would say sounds like an expert, is quick to be like, I am not a professional historian. <laughs> well, and, you, I mean, you appreciate when people... Mm. These days, especially, admit when they don't yes. know everything. <laughs> it's true. I agree. I agreed. Or at least, yeah, at least we do. So Arthur goes through the history of Sitting Bull, and he manages to really captivate all of his classmates, and he does a really good job of making it exciting for them. <laughs> Muffy says that it would make a great movie, and hey, Derek Montaigne could play Sitting Bull, because as Francine says, apparently his mom is part Cherokee. And when, uh, Lucas, when when, and how often have we heard that excuse for yes. Hollywood wh- whitewashing, huh? Yes, it's true. It's true. Although I tried to look it up. They did not have a credit in the credits or on IMDb for the person who is voicing Sitting Bull. So I don't know if it's an indigenous voice actor that they would have gotten or not. Mm-hmm. Um, we, do leave, we do leave this on a rather strong note. Arthur gets kind of another quote-unquote visit from the spirit of Sitting Bull. And I found this actually quite profound, what they have him say. He says, it's good that your friends know about the people who lived in this country before them and still live here today. And, like, I don't know. Even that very simple statement, like, it kind of, like, I felt that a little bit. Because even still, like, you would think that that's, like like a no-brainer like no duh like indigenous people have lived in north america before we as white people ever did but even then today it's hard enough to get 
some people to admit that that's true because well, then it, they have to start thinking about all of the other things that happened to the indigenous people since then and all the bad stuff that we even as we are inherited to at like the generations and generations ago um that we that our ancestors were party to well, not even our ancestors, right? Well, so this is something. Oh, that's this you is know good, what that's true. This, yeah, this is a good time to bring this up. Is the really important part of that line that really stuck up to me is when he talks about and they the the ones that still live here today. Because yes. it's something that I've even had to you know hold myself accountable with. I have many uh, uh, indigenous friends, um, and something that they've really told me uh, that people always do is they talk about. You know, uh, whether it be the Mi'kmaq or the Mohawk or other uh, indigenous communities in Canada, they always talk about them in the past tense. Yes. Um, always talk about, even when people have, you know, um, their hearts in the right place and they're trying to talk about, you know, these atrocities or they're trying to talk about, and you alluded to it early on in this episode, there's something going on right now where um, we're, and I really don't want to speak too much about it because I, I, I want to kind of give the situation the gravity it deserves. And, yes. And, we come to it with a little bit more of an informed opinion, but there's all that stuff going on right now with the indigenous, the residential schools. Yes. And if, if it's too much to talk about on this episode of Arthur here, but if you're an American listening to this and you're not familiar with it, the residential schools were a really terrible practice uh, uh, done by the federal government and, and uh, the church here in, in Canada, where they institutionalized essentially uh, taking indigenous people away from their families and out of reserve communities and, and trying to, uh, for lack of a better term, assimilate them into a, a, a Judeo-Christian Canadian society in a very violent way. Um, and now all these um, kind of burial grounds are being dug up at these schools, and it's, it's a really, really awful, horrible situation. Um, but the thing that, you know, is important to remember is that we're always talking about these things in a past tense. And the last residential school closed, I think, a year before I was born, like 1994. Yeah, very, um, and that's yeah, not long relatively, ago Relatively, not relatively modern. And, you know, that's, that's atrocities being happening very close to, it's it, in your lifetime, Will, very close to my lifetime. Yes. And, you know, these things are still also ongoing, not in terms of the residential schools, but, you know, the Canadian federal government is, is taking indigenous youth to court. Um, there's, there's kind of oppression to this day. Um, and, you know, earlier I was talking about, you know, the land acknowledgement and how that's a very Canadian sentiment and a very Canadian practice. But in some ways, um, it's, it's a lot of saying something and doing something else because the Canadian government loves to apologize and they love to make land acknowledgements, but their yeah. actions kind of tend to, uh, show the other side of, of their kind of true intentions or their, their true attitudes towards these situations. Situations, again, that are too much to comment on here on our, our children's cartoon podcast. But this is all to say that um, I think that's a, something that I was I was really worried about throughout this episode is that, you know, the fact that it's his ghost and, and we're talking about history, that it, it was going to leave on this sentiment of like, yes, we should remember when there was Native Americans here, uh, which is as my friends have corrected me on, is incorrect. There are still Native Americans. There's still Indigenous Canadians. The culture lives on, um, you know, and, and it's important to acknowledge those things and to listen and to learn from those communities that still exist to this day. So I was actually very happy that that episode was, took that moment to point that out and so that this wasn't all in kind of retrospect or all in past tense. 
I'm glad you brought that up, Lucas. Again, uh, my my white ignorance showing, mm-hmm. but always an opportunity uh, to learn. So I'm glad I'm glad that you Listen, put that out there. I'm I'm sure I've gotten numerous things on as well. We're we're joined together in the we're we're together in our ignorance. Well, um, but then also another re- revelation. Yes. After he says the ones that are still here, he points out that uh, Mr. Rappard is either I don't know if he identifies as Native American, but is absolutely descended from Native Americans. Yes, yeah, so he uh, Sitting Bull apparently looks like a Cheyenne that sitting that uh, he used to know. So I don't know if we're ever going to follow up on that, but uh, because um, we we do get Arthur asking like, do Native Americans live in Elwood City? And he does say that like, yes, they still live here today. But we, you know, we never see as I mean, I, I don't know. I can't speak for every single character that we'll see. But I don't know that we have met or will ever meet an indigenous, a specifically indigenous character in Arthur. I would love to see it, and I hope we do. And I'm sure maybe some of our listeners might know as well. So that's the end of that episode. I really can't wait to talk with you about how we feel about it. But let's go back to the Chronicles of Buster, which I also feel a certain way about. Lucas, what did you think? I loved the chronicles of buster (laughs) i the chronicles of buster and i've probably said this like so many times uh but this might be my favorite episode of like the last four seasons this episode was such a standout arthur episode i think earlier you you made a remark and i i wanted to add on to it that like you're saying you don't know what's going to happen next in that episode. It's just such a weird kind of off-kilter parody that we don't come to expect from Arthur. And I think you put it well. I saw it as it demanded my attention. Like that episode, as people who watch Arthur week in and week out, the Chronicles of Buster grabbed a hold of me in a way that I wasn't expecting and was like, look at this crazy Arthur episode. In a way that I've missed, in a way that Arthur kind of used to do in some earlier seasons. So I totally loved it. Um, I, I too was, wasn't sure what, what the moral at the end of the day was going to be. Like, was it literally going to be like, don't be a big nerd, like go outside. But I think they, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. And the kind of conclusion they come to is like, listen, you can enjoy your special edition DVDs. No one's telling you to not do that. But also have fun with your friends, go outside Hang out with your friends. Don't let all those other things go to the wayside and become like a a weirdo hermit and just watch your DVDs all day. So I I think that that's the conclusion they came to, and I think that's a fine moral. Uh, What about you, Will? What did you think of the Chronicles of Buster? I also loved it. Like I, 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 this was so, this was so great. Um, and of course, like superficially, I love that this is a com, this is a, a meta commentary on the Lord of the Rings and the like extended DVD phenomena that happened in the mid two thousands. Yeah, and especially like right at this time, like I was like, oh my god, like my favorites are coalescing. Um, you're right. It, this really did have me on the hook for the whole thing because for so much of the episode, you don't know how these two elements are going to combine. And it does take a, like a certain degree of imagination. Like they don't just do like a complete palette swap parody of Lord of the Rings. They kind of think of their own story and then just kind of match certain elements to that story structure. So I have to commend them for doing that. There's one aspect of this that um I wouldn't say that I don't like, but I'm more am looking for input on. And this goes out to you, the listener. So the entire thing is about how Buster becomes obsessed with this DVD and. In the words of Arthur, at least in Buster's mind, it gets in the way of their friendship. 
and it gets and like the, the I think the episode is suggesting it's getting in the way of Buster enjoying the other aspects of life. And in the end, Buster admits that he's been selfish. What this was kind of reminding me of is how some people have a tendency, and myself included, to hyper-focus on a subject. And I think this felt like almost a little outdated, I want to say, because I think we have the language and the understanding, or at least a better language understanding now, to realizing that hyper-focusing, like when somebody hyper-focuses on a subject, when they come to know everything about it, and it's all they can talk about, it's all they want to talk about, it reminded me of not just my own habits, but from what mm. I, from, and again, I'm no expert, I am no expert on this, as Arthur would say. It reminded me of one of the aspects or one of the potential aspects of being on the autism spectrum. Mm. So I wonder, and this is to any of our listeners who would be willing to share with us about if you've had this experience or your experience watching this episode, to me, the message of yeah, sorry, I've been selfish by wanting this to be the way our, we spend our time. It, it it felt like we would be saying this differently if we made this episode ten years later. Like I don't like I don't know. It's it's and maybe I'm thinking too much about this, so I apologize if I'm kind of bringing this up about nothing. It's becoming easier to understand aspects of an autistic person's neurodivergence neurodivergence thank you yes um because we have more people with autism online talking about what it's like to be them to 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 be to be neurodivergent in that way and because i have I, friends on the autism spectrum who do like they hyper focus on like a show or a video game or something but one of their biggest delights is being able to share that with somebody else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and that's what mm-hmm. this reminded me of. And it's mm-hmm. just like, I wonder if we would think about this differently if Buster was a character on the autism spectrum, which, I mean, you can make a, like you could make the argument for or against that. I'm not saying either way. But if we, if we were specifically doing this with a character who is on the autism spectrum, I think it would be different to be like, they really like this and they, it means a lot to them. And they're, he's, trying to sh- he's trying to share it with Arthur. Correct me if I'm misinterpreting you, but what if if I may is yes. what you're trying to say is are you wondering or or, or mulling over whether this uh, episode is framed in a neuro- neurotypical context? I think that's whereas a, I, yeah yes I think that's I think that's a very good way to put that. Once <laughs> yeah. again, you're yeah. really bailing me out in this episode. I appreciate I appreciate it. You but of course you are very insightful, and uh, I think that um, you have a lot more experience. Um, Speaking about these sorts of topics, I think this is written from a neurotypical standpoint, and I don't mm. think that that's inherently bad. That's just kind of the lens with which, through which I watch this episode. And I would really like to hear once again from any of our listeners yes. who have who are on the autism spectrum or who have experiences with uh, loved ones who are on the autism spectrum. Like, did this bring this up for you? Am I overthinking this? Um, what? How do you feel about that? No, I think I think that's totally fair. You know, it's something you notice and recognize about the episode, um, and it didn't. Obviously, you still enjoyed watching the episode, but it's something you're time. mindful of. Exactly. Yeah. Otherwise, thought this was a great episode. Um, it's just at the end, it kind of got me thinking in a different way than maybe it meant to. But otherwise, I really enjoyed it. The same goes for um, on the spot, and I kind of like 
it was funny again from the outset I was like, oh, this is going to be a bit more of an educational Arthur episode because it is a little unusual, I guess, for it was it was kind of odd to have Arthur be the point of view character of this. If anything, I would expect a character like maybe Brain to be um, to take interest in like a historical matter. But I think the message here is or at least the message I'm taking away is that, you know, Arthur's the every character He's he's the every child, essentially, and every child can have just can just be interested in history like in any aspect of history there's you know there's even for you and me when we were younger lucas there was an aspect of history that we were interested in be it dinosaurs or i don't know like world war ii or whatever like any part of history that seems interesting to you and it just so happens that sitting bull in elwood city is something that arthur is really interested in and good like that's actually great because i feel that at least from my growing up, there is a bit of a stigma among indigenous people's history in a largely white school system yes. that I would have grown up oh in. Oh my god! Because our like our history context for it was in kind of generalized history terms. It was very. It would have been taught by people who likely didn't like. We're not coming at it from an indigenous perspective. Yeah. And like when I was in grade ten. If you wanted to learn about Mi'kmaq history, you had to take the separate Mi'kmaq history class, mm-hmm, which you didn't mm-hmm. have to take. It was optional. So it was always presented in this kind of like, yeah, you don't need to you don't need to know everything. Like I remember being discouraged from taking it. Um because it's just like because, because it was history, just like it, it doesn't matter like it kind of doesn't matter. Like just kind of shrugging it off in that way. Which is hilarious to, you know, separate it in that way because Mi'kmaq history is all of our history. It's it's the history of this yes. land, right? Absolutely. Uh, it's the history the, that all that history is Canadian history. Um, no, you're right, Will. This is I didn't expect this episode to be one of our heaviest Elwood City Limits episodes yet, but it's true that um, some of the most racist things I've ever heard in my life, like in terms of like. Uh, people casually saying like racist things just to my face have yeah. been around about indigenous people in this area. It's something that I think we still have a massive, massive problem with here in Canada. Like I alluded to earlier, um, you know, I think Canadians in some times like to uh, pat themselves on the back. And we always like to have what's called Canadian exceptionalism where it's like, Oh, you know, uh, other parts of the world for lack of a better example, you know, in America, they have their problems in terms of along racial lines or this country has its problems with it around racial lines, but we're different in Canada. We, we we're kind of, we're, friendlier in Canada, all those kinds of things. And that is simply not true. That is that, not no, only is that not, not true, that sentiment comes from a place of trying to hide the, not only the past, but the things that are still going on to this day. Right. So yeah. uh, I, I think you're totally right that uh, it's refreshing to <laughs> the fact, honestly, it, it's, it's, we're applauding it for having a pittance, right? Like this is yes. one figure in a vast, vast, uh, uh, long tradition of native american history um and you know we're lauding this pra- we're we're piling on this praise because it's like wow we didn't even know about about sitting bull but i'm sure there's there's a whole ocean of of things that we don't know about right so that's that's uh you start to think well wait a minute is that for a reason like where does this ignorance stem from so um though it should be commended uh for for highlighting the story of sailing bull there's still so much more out there to learn 
Yes, and um, this was this was a great way to start, and uh, especially for kids. Like again, Arthur's for kids, and I think it's great to encourage kids to learn more about. I mean, to just use Sitting Bull as a start point, and then mm-hmm. to go from there. And who knows where that would take them, and to make it seem interesting and valuable because it is. Like you said, Lucas, uh, when it comes to Atlantic us in Atlantic Canada, Mi'kmaq history is our history as a, as a people and as a country. And I'm sure the same is true in America for Sitting Bull and any other great leaders, uh, indigenous leaders and uh, people of note of indigenous history there. I also feel confident bringing this up on the show because I'm sure we always have a wonderful diversity of opinion. And thankfully, I don't mean some people are for indigenous history and some are against or some are for and against. No, what I mean is, is that we have a lot of very diverse listeners. And I, again, would like to extend this to any of our listeners of indigenous heritage. Uh, If you have anything to say about what we've talked about or what the episode talked about, including if we said something wrong, like, and if you need to kind of check us, please feel free. We're oh white. Gosh, yeah. We're very, no, we're very again. white. Again, <laughs> we've, we've, uh, we've, yeah, we've said it before. Uh, and again, to quote Arthur, we're no expert. No, we are no expert. But, you know, as we get older, we're kind of learning more and more things about our history as a people. And we're also learning that it is so important to have not only representation, but this kind of information and a willingness to learn and admit when we're wrong and you know our 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 socials and our email elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com is open for anything about what we have talked about from um indigenous rights and the rights of indigenous people to uh, that brief conversation about autism that we had uh please if you have anything to add about any of that or anything that isn't remotely that serious or about a serious subject you can talk about that too like we would really encourage you to um and of course constructive criticism in these manners and in all manners of the podcast is always welcome in those channels so thank you very much for uh for hanging in there with us and for and i hope that you got something out of this and i hope that you enjoyed watching this episode of arthur like we did this was this was really good this was a a real banger of a of a whole 20 22 minutes this was a real banger of a 22 minutes, so I'm glad that we uh, I'm glad that we got to do that. Uh, so Lucas, we're going to be back at it once again next week with uh, for the kids a PBS Kids podcast, and this is the one that at least you've been waiting for, and I've certainly been looking forward to. As we go through the bookworm bunch, it's time to talk about Maurice Sendak's Seven Little Monsters. I'm excited, an old favorite. Yes, of mine too. And uh, I think we'll have quite a bit to say on this episode. If you haven't listened to the Bookworm Bunch parts yet, I would encourage you to do that. It's been a great series so far. And I would say, personally, the best is yet to come with Seven Little Monsters and what will be coming afterwards. In two weeks' time, we will be back here on Elwood City Limits for another episode as we move through Season 12. We're talking about The Cherry Tree and Matchmaker Matchbreaker. So, I don't know. I, now I don't know what to expect, neither from the titles or anything else. Like, could what could these be about? And no matter what you think it might be about from the title, you're probably wrong. Because did I expect this from the Chronicles of Buster or On This Spot? No, I did not. But I'm looking forward to the conversation that we'll have and looking forward, as always, to uh, hopefully another great episode of Arthur. 
All right, so thank you again for joining us, and please, please feel free to get in contact with us about anything that you heard on today's episode. And we wish you a great week, and we'll talk to you again soon. My name is Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini... Mr. Rogers once stayed there. We'll see you next time.